calling all aspiring investment professionals. Get a leg up on the competition. Final registration for the August CFA exam ends on May 14th. Register now to secure your spot. The CFA designation is of gold standard in the investment world, opening doors to high-powered careers and impressive salaries. Head over to cfainstitute.org to register. Don't wait. Take control of your finance career today. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Take 15. My name is Bud Hazlitt, and I'm the head of risk management, derivatives, and alternative investments here at CFA Institute. Today, I have the pleasure of talking with Rick Bookstaber from the SEC. Rick, thank you so much. And I just had the pleasure of listening to Rick and his speech at the CFA Institute annual conference, and it was absolutely wonderful. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting is that you said that you've been involved with risk management for so many years that you've seen the evolution of it. And could you talk a little bit about that for us? Yeah, I started out... Well, you know, originally I was going to be a professor. I started out, I got a PhD from MIT, got into option theory and derivatives, and then around 84 I came to Wall Street because that was just starting to become an area of interest on Wall Street. And uh, originally I was, you know, helping with the development of derivatives and then did proprietary trading. And then you had these blow-ups uh, at uh, Bankers Trust, then uh, the mortgage desk at Merrill Lynch, and so people started to have demand for risk management. So in the early 90s, I was asked to be in charge of market risk management at uh, Morgan Stanley. And then from there, went to Solomon. Uh, so I was getting involved in risk management right when it, it started to be, become an issue on Wall Street, uh, partly because I had derivatives background. That's where a lot of the risk came from, and I had done some trading. And uh, I also was involved during the crash in 87 because... At that point, I was doing portfolio insurance, which, mm -hmm. you know, as you know, was pretty much implicated in the, the crash in 87. So as a participant, I saw the first crisis, and then I was pretty much on board as all the crises in the 90s occurred. Then uh, what happened in, on the sell side was that over time, because of Basel and other regulations, the, the role of the risk manager became more kind of take the paper from here, stamp it, put it over there. And... Uh, it wasn't, there wasn't the need so much for people with you know, strong research or trading background. And just at about that time, I moved from the sell side to the buy side, just as risk management was starting to be something uh, that was regarded as a value for hedge funds. So I may well have been the first risk manager in a hedge fund when I went to more capital in 99. Speaking of 1999, I've recently been working on putting together a book on risk management for the CFA Institute, and I had the pleasure of reading one of your articles, or a conference proceeding from 1999 uh, about the crisis, uh, and it was absolutely amazing how poignant it was and, and how appropriate everything that you said in there was to the current crisis we had uh, of a couple years ago. Right. So it, it was really excellent. And it, it, a lot of people feel that the quantitative issues are uh, very important, but there's also qualitative issues that have to be taken into consideration when it comes to risk management, aren't there? Yeah, because the, you know, the quantitative is sort of the blocking and tackling, right? If, if, you're not, if you don't know your positions, you know, then you can't seriously be a portfolio manager, but it's not sufficient to just know your positions. And similarly, if you're doing risk management, you can't be doing your job if you don't know, 
you know, the level positions and the value at risk of those positions and do stress tests. So that's sort of the baseline level that you have to be at. But if you stop there, you're more a technocrat than a risk manager. What you have to do is take that information, understand what else is going on in the world to be able to understand what sort of risks might occur. And that by nature, is it's got to be qualitative. In fact, risk management has to be just as qualitative ultimately as a lot of portfolio management because the risks that really are going to hurt you are the ones that you haven't yet seen and therefore the ones that you couldn't have possibly measured. In your speech, you made an interesting comment about value at risk, and many people are saying that's not as valuable uh, as it once was, and you stated that it's um, accurate over much of the uh, range. Um, Would you like to comment a little more about that? Yeah. You know, what a lot of people are saying is, look, you had all these smart quantitative people doing the value at risk and so on, and they missed this crisis, so you know, how can you think this stuff works? And I actually have a a blog, uh, and one of the posts I entitled The Fat-Tailed Straw Man, because people argued, look, there's these fat-tailed risks, you miss them with value at risk, therefore you shouldn't have value at risk. You know, to me, this isn't, uh, you know, a logical statement. It's value at risk can work 98% of the time, or maybe 99% of the time, when tomorrow and the next week, are drawn from the same sort of distribution of results as have occurred over the last year or whatever time period you're using. So it's a good benchmark case and it's going to work most of the time. But anybody who's involved with value at risk understands that particular limitation that it's only going to be useful if the future looks like the past. And people understand there are crises, that sometimes there's the regime shift, a break in the market where things don't look the same. And there you're on your own, so to speak. Value at risk isn't going to work. But I think the people who criticize it uh, don't understand what most risk managers understand, which is the limitations that are inherent in using that sort of methodology. Could you tell us a little bit more about uh, liquidity risk and uh, some of the uh, occurrences that have happened recently? Yeah, well, this is, you know, this is where basically one of the places that value at risk breaks down and when you have crises, when you have things that occur that don't reflect the past, is if for some reason there's a liquidity crisis, that is somebody for some reason has to sell, it can be because they're very leveraged and the bank is saying, if you don't sell, we're going to sell for you. It could be because as in portfolio insurance in 87, they have pre-programmed sell orders or as probably happened May 6th, their market orders but you you have this selling that suddenly occurs and basically there's not enough people to take the other side of the the trade. So the prices drop. People back out because they're seeing this big drop and because it's dropped, they have to sell more and more and more. Well, that doesn't have anything to do with history. It doesn't have anything to do with the fundamentals of the market or what happened in the past. You know, the only reason, the only way you can find out what happened in a case like that is by knowing who's under pressure and if there's a market shock, who's going to have to sell. So it's a different type of risk analysis than what you can do with the standard value risk source of methods. Great. Uh, You recently uh, came up with a book that uh, is one of the most popular on Wall Street. Could you go through a few of the major points? Yeah, A Demon of Our Own Design uh, came out in April of 07. So the timing was pretty good. And uh, at the first chapter of the book, it's a fairly short first chapter. I, I talk about my experiences during the crash in 87 
and I was involved quite a bit with the LTCM crisis because, you know, LTCM was called Solomon North. Most of the people who were at LTCM came from Solomon, and I was in charge of firm-wide risk at Solomon. Uh, and, and what I was saying is, you know, these crises are going to happen again. We haven't learned, and we're set up for it to occur again. And the reason is because of two characteristics in the market. One is leverage. Uh, that causes what I call tight coupling. And tight coupling basically is if you have a, a engineer, an engineering, a tightly coupled process is one where when the process gets started, it just moves on and on and on and you can't sort of intervene. And a lot of the crises are tightly coupled in the sense that once it falls off the edge, you can't pull it back. It just keeps on tumbling. And the other characteristic besides tight coupling is complexity. And the way we've create complexity and you know for the market crisis that we're just now pulling out of is through you know the host of derivative instruments and innovative products that obscure risk and that create non-linearities and connections and linkages between markets so that was uh, sort of the premise that I had in the book is sort of the the underlying characteristics of the market that tend to make them crisis-prone. I'd like to thank you very much for, uh, okay. for talking with us. It's a real honor. And uh, thank you for joining us for this episode of Take 15. Copyright 2010, CFA Institute. No part may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, electronic, mechanical, recording, or otherwise, without the express prior written permission of CFA Institute. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regard to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax, investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.